destroyer passed over Egypt, right? Was a destroyer passed over Egypt and, and, and looked at every one of those individual individual uh, individual Israelite homes. He did not look at the character or the behavior of those inside the home. He looked for only one thing, and that was what? What? Right? So when the Father looks at us at that first judgment, that is the only thing he's going to see. It's either a yes or no. So the blood cannot be added to. The blood does not require addition. It is not the blood plus circumcision. It is not the blood plus Sabbath. It is not the blood plus any of God's commandments that saves us. It is always and only the, the, the sin offering that Christ made that, is, that makes salvation possible. You have to be marked by the blood in order to be saved. You have to be marked by the blood in order to be born again. You have to be marked by the blood in order to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That is gospel truth number one. Okay, we have to be in one accord about that. The blood does not, and in fact cannot be added to in any way for the purpose of our salvation. Everyone agree? Okay, so with that in mind... Then my two-word question is this. Kelly, what's that say? Why obey? The question is, why obey? If it's always and only the blood that saves us, if it's actually dishonoring and disrespectful and as Paul would even say potentially pulls us out of the grace of God to try and add to the blood for the for the purpose purpose of our salvation then why obey miss Val excellent here's what I want to do I want to make a list I am not going to write anything on this list that cannot be supported with Scripture. Thou said to show God we love Him. Is that supported by Scripture? Yes. Anyone know the Scripture off the top of their mind? Yep. So several times, Jesus says that in John chapter 14, I believe. Right? The one that we've studied extensively is in 1 John chapter 2. By this we know we know Him. Those that say they know God and love God, by this you know, by you keep His commandments, right? So that is a biblically supported truth. One of the reasons that we obey is to show God that we love Him. Excellent. Why else? Susie. Good. Here's how I would word that. I wrote down there, it's the proof that we are born again. Now what does that ultimately mean? Someone expound on that a little bit, Kirby. Because we want to. Good. Yep, what causes us to want to? That's the only reason. There is nothing in your flesh that wants to obey God. 
Make no mistake about it. There is nothing in your flesh that wants to obey God. The Bible is very clear about that. So this is a biblically supported statement that Susie makes. In, in a number of supporting areas, Paul says in Galatians, I'm not sure, I can't remember where, also in Romans, that the flesh is the enemy of God. It cannot submit to the law of God, nor will it. It is entrenched against the Spirit and the things of the Spirit, so the flesh wants nothing to do with obeying, with obeying God's ways, keeping God's commandments. So Kirby said, if there is anything inside of you that desires to keep God's commandments, that has to come from the Holy Spirit, right? And so if you ever want to know, am I truly born again? Do not stake your salvation, friends, on saying the sinner's prayer, right? There is no precedence in Scripture for that being legitimate. If, if that's the only thing you're staking your salvation on, that's very dangerous, Right? If you wanna if you wanna judge the fruit, Jesus says the only way you know anything is by judging the fruit. If you want to judge the fruit in your own life as to am I authentically born again, this is it right here. Do you have an internal desire, an internal hunger, an internal push to keep God's commandments? If the answer is yes, you're born again. I'm confident in saying that. If you have the guts to answer no. Quite frankly, I do not want to obey God's commandments. I don't care about them. I don't want to know them. They're a burden to me. They're weird. Right? That's evidence that you're likely not born again. So this is a big one. What's another one? Miss Diane. I'm going to say, um, he said, because I'm holy, you're called holy. Yeah. I would say it's a piece of us being called to be set apart. Exactly right. Is it biblical to say that the people of God are called and expected to be set apart? Very much so. Uh, you can't read very many pages of the Bible and not receive that truth. It is a theme from, from cover to cover, and it is, a, it, is, it is one of the things that Father God throughout Scripture we see is very, very zealous regarding He's, he's zealous regarding his own holiness, right? And holy means set apart, distinct, separated from the common. God is very zealous for his holiness, his separateness. There is no other God. There is no other God like him. He said, I am, as opposed to everything else, right? So because God is zealous for his own holiness, it just makes sense then that he is also zealous for his people's holiness. And this is a very, very important message that we need to hear as the body of Christ. We are called to be set apart to the Father. We are not called to be just like the rest of the world. We are not called to try and make the rest of the world comfortable by, by, by doing what they do. I've fallen into that trap many times. It's actually the exact opposite. We are intended to be visibly distinct from the rest of the world in, in every area of life. What does that distinction look like? What is that distinction? How do we specifically walk that out? Keeping God's commandments. This is not distinction of, you know, some arbitrary 
we go to church, you know, and we don't cuss and we're just generally slightly better than the rest. It's way different than that. God's commandments are the distinctness that he is talking about. So walking in them and being set apart are one and the same and literally cannot be separated. You cannot, listen to this, you cannot believe or you should not believe that you are in any way set apart if you are not diligently seeking and keeping God's specific commandments. Does that make sense? Very, very important. Yes, Jackson. What's that? Keep the Ten Commandments, exactly right. That is like the foundation of this of the set apartness of the people of God. And I believe he's probably gonna march us through every one of them as we start to focus on his commandments. Exactly right, buddy. Yes, Naomi. Um, because it established relationship. Excellent. Exactly right. I thought about I shall already know you're my disciples Yes. This is so important. You know, we say we say so often this is about reconciliation, this is about relationship. God wants relationship with us, Jesus wants relationship with us, the Holy Spirit wants relationship with us. Well, what Naomi said was it's it's God's commandments and it's keeping God's commandments that basically is our contribution to the relationship. Right? God has done everything necessary from his end. He's done everything necessary. Broken the dividing wall, Paul says in Ephesians. Anything that separates us from the Father, God has dealt with. So our contribution to that is to walk in his ways. That is how we engage the relationship. God has set and defined kind of the parameters of a relationship as we do right with all of our relationships we we kind of set an expectation we set parameters about what it looks like and what we will accept and what we won't and so on and so forth well god has done the exact same thing right and one of the one of the tactics of the enemy is to kind of erase all of those guidelines so that relationship with god can look like whatever we want it to look like and that's what spins into all kinds of nonsense and idolatry and and counterfeit worship that God will never, ever, ever accept. Right? God is who gets to define the parameters of this relationship, and he does so through his commandments. So like Moses prayed, teach me your ways so that I can know you more. This This is what it means to pursue relationship with God, to pursue reconciliation with the Father. It's done by walking in his ways. Exactly right. Wow. Uh, I don't know how best to say it, but to allow God to prove himself to us. Excellent. I don't know how to write that, but um, <laughs> let's say this. I, I wrote to experience God's realness. You know, there's a, there's a, I think there's a truth in the body of Christ right now that kind of goes unmentioned because it's just one of those things that you don't talk about. But I would speculate that there's a that there's a sense in the in the body of Christ that God is still in question. 
that, that, that an experience with the living God is still something that a lot of people question and even tiptoe tip towards doubting because they don't experience it, right? And the reality is that they don't experience it because they're not being taught to keep God's commandments. And so if you never keep God's commandments, the experience of how real he is is very difficult to, to grab onto. It's very difficult. I thought you said it really well uh, when we were talking about uh, establishing a relationship with God. So He set the groundwork for the relationship. We respond with obedience, and then that's that's His response. It's like a conversation. So He exactly. opened it. We respond, and that's experiencing His realness would be the third Absolutely. step of that conversation. Absolutely, it's really the fruit. You know, the fruit of walking in God's commandments, and this is a big part of what, what He's opening our eyes to through this current um, teaching. Is, um, is significant. There is significant, um, very significant fruit that comes when we keep God's commandments. And, and it comes both on, well, well you know, I want to talk because this is a part of this list, but it, um, until you walk in God's commandments, you don't experience that fruit. If you don't experience that fruit, God remains this like distant idea, this concept, this, I got to read stories about what happened to people a long time ago. To, to hear about God's faithfulness or to hear about God's power or to hear about his sovereignty or whatever. I've never experienced it myself because I'm not walking in his ways. So I'm not experiencing that good fruit. So it's just an idea to me. Does that make sense? So, so keeping God's commandments is an incredible way to experience his love and his realness. Michael? Absolutely. Right, and I would argue, um, in fact, I wrote that one down. I wrote that one down this way. I said, um, our obedience is the fruit of our faith. It's the fruit of our belief. It's the fruit of our commitment and the fruit of our dedication. Like, like to me, whenever I see a group of people that are... Um, that are authentically seeking to know God's ways so that we can walk in them, that's a beautiful testimony to God has done something in their lives to prove that this is all real, right? You don't seek obedience and you don't walk in God's ways unless you believe this is all real, right? And that's why so many, so few people do because there's that question, is this all real? Do I really want to go all in? Do I really want to fully commit to this and actually change my life? to align with his word. The only time you get to that point is when God has proven himself in one way or another to you. That spirit's conviction is that real to you. So it is, it's the fruit of our dedication. It's the fruit of our belief. It's the fruit of our commitment. Absolutely. Kara? Good. Okay. That's so funny that you answered that um, because I want to ask you to do something for next week. Um, one of the things that we need to understand about God's commandments is that a very high percentage of them are for our protection. And it's incredible when you finally give yourself to believe that it's incredible how much um, more obedience will happen, right? Because you just have your eyes open to this is for my protection. In, in one of the, um, you know, the Bible is such an incredible 
a masterpiece of you know of God's sovereignty. So so this book, um, the you know has exactly the same amount of books on either side, and there's one book that's exactly in the middle of the Bible, and one chapter in that book that is the exact center point of the Bible. Anyone know what it is? Psalm 119. All right, the entire book of Psalm 119, or I'm sorry, the entire chapter of Psalm 119, it is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. The very center book, the very center chapter of that book, it's the longest one in the entire Bible. And what is Psalm 119 all about? God's commandments. The law, the goodness of the law, the protection that comes from keeping God's ways. It's a beautiful incredible psalm to read and what you'll see if you open your Bible to it is um, it's written by a number of different people all you know um, Old Testament Israelites that have been raised to, to know and keep God's commandments and it's basically just their response to it and what you see if you read Psalm 119 is this beautiful um, praising of God and thanking of thanking God for his commandments, his laws, his statutes, his judgments, his precepts that bring um, protection and salvation and peace and, and everything else that come with keeping God's commandments. So here's one thing that I want to do as we um, as we as a congregation are, are committing to um, kind of walking um, each week studying a commandment of God, we're just going to allow the Spirit to lead, but I think we're going to be in this for a bit, just focusing on commandments of God every week we're together. Um, before we start each week, I want someone to read and give a little, um, you know, kind of a kind of a response, I guess, to one of these uh, paragraphs in Psalm 119. So that's your homework, Kara. Um, Pick, pick any one of the paragraphs. They're all like three or four verses. Um, this week, just study one. And, um, and next week, when we get started, you're going to read it out loud. And then just give your kind of your, your thoughts on it. Are you willing? Okay. And we're going to do that every week. So, so next week, after that week, someone else is going to do it. And I'm going to have kids uh, participate in this also. All right? Yes, sir. That's so critical. You know, um, one of the things that I've had the um, unfortunate experience um, observing is... um, you know, I've gone to church services where I've seen um, worship, you know, kind of the, the, the physical act of worship in music where uh, someone someone is just, and this is, a, just, this is a week after week after week thing, someone is just constantly, you know, right down in front, very expressive, you know, kind of all, all into it and, and, and very um, passionate about it. But what I know about their lives is that they are not connected to the Lord. They are they are they have no obedience and no purity in their life. They're, they're, I just know that's the truth. And, and to um, 
and to understand how the Father sees worship and what and to know what the Father is seeking in worship, that really stands out to me. You know, and it reminds me of passages like we've read before in Isaiah chapter one and in Amos chapter six when God says, you know, your worship is a burden to me because I know how you're living. You know, I don't does the songs of your music I despise because I know how you live. You know, God's not interested in our worship if we're not walking in His ways. So, so you're exactly right. The, the purest and the truest form of worship is a life of obedience. When we walk in obedience and we experience the protection and the reconciliation and the peace and the harmony and everything else that comes from a fruit standpoint from keeping God's commandments then true worship in spirit and in truth will be a natural flow does that make sense if because we have no obedience in the bride of Christ what's had to happen on the worship side is we've had to manufacture all this response so to manufacture a bunch of emotion and excitement and whatnot it's got to be absolutely perfect music it's got to have the lights and the smoke and everything else that just gets us emotionally charged, but at the end of the day, it's not even really an outflow of, of experiencing the good fruit that comes from walking in God's ways. And that's the and that's the biggest type of counterfeit that's happening in the church right now, from my perspective, that we see is it's in worship, and it's because worship is intended to be an outflow, and and specifically an outflow of you know really this one right here. And this one right here only happens when we obey. And so because obedience is so low, because lawlessness, the Bible um, prophesies, is absolutely a sign of the end times, that's the, that's the state of the church right now. Lawlessness in the church, lawlessness in the bride. And so the worship has to be manufactured. The passion in worship has to be manipulated. It's no longer unhewn stones, right? It's stones carved perfectly to make it as appealing and easy as possible so that we'll worship and it's all backwards. Obedience is the truest form of real worship. Exactly right. Kyle? I think, I think a real vital factor of what you just said is that if we can't commit, we can't, we can't exactly right. And I, let's, let's hold on to that one because that's where the teaching ends tonight. Because that's right on the money and super important. Bunny? Absolutely right. Good. That's 100% right. We'll, we'll, we'll make this be the last one. Here's what I want. I want a child, someone under the age of 15, to come and draw what real ministry looks like. It does not have to be perfect. Anyone want to give it a try? No takers? How about an adult? Any adult want to give it a try? What you ask? Michael? Okay. 
So what Bonnie said is that walking in God's ways um, is, is, the, is the foundation and really the precursor to any real ministry. All right, and, and so the Lord's kind of given us this diagram, this picture to help us get our minds and our, and our heads around what real ministry looks like. And so Michael's going to walk us through this, uh, this diagram. Absolutely right. Like, uh, like the word says, like we couldn't know, we couldn't know how far we've fallen without the law, right? The law absolutely is what opens our eyes to the need for a savior. And if you've ever tried to keep God's commandments, or you've even become aware of God's commandments, you you um, very quickly realize how necessary a savior is, right? So that's exactly right. All right, Michael, what do we got here? Excellent. Real ministry, way to go, Michael. Real ministry, friends, is the flow of the Holy Spirit through a vessel from the throne from the Lamb, where the river of living water is ever proceeding from, through the vessel, which is the body of Christ, into the earth so that more can be touched by the love of the Father. Right? So there is no ministry that's real that is outside of that happening there is no ministry in the flesh that is accomplishing the father's will right that's why the uh i can't remember who wrote it this time but one of the one of the official writers write it like a house that's built with humans hands is it does no good right less less the father does the building it's just a house of cards it's only the the um the, the flow of the Father's will through a vessel that accomplishes the Master's business. By God's sovereignty and by His design, He has absolutely invited the accomplishment of His will on the earth to be done through a human human vessels, right? Right down to and including Jesus. He's, he's just decided to work that way. Why and how? That's a mystery. God could snap His fingers and everything could be restored overnight, instantly, in a moment, right? He's not choosing to do that. He's chosen to have mankind participate in this, and specifically those who he has adopted, right? He does everything through sons, sons and daughters. And so our invitation to walk purely, not to be good, being good is about human effort, religiousness, working in the field while daddy's throwing a party, missing the whole thing. 
right? That's goodness. Goodness is pharisaical, it's hypocritical, and it does nothing but turn people away from God. Purity means we are constantly being pruned of the pollutants and the contaminants and the idolatry so that this as a vessel becomes pure, as Michael said. When this as a vessel is pure, the flow of the river of living water happens, and that's where the miraculous takes place. And the miraculous could could be a, a divine miraculous healing, it could be a prophecy, it could be a word of knowledge, or it could simply be an encouragement, you know, a teaching, parenting, supporting your spouse. Those are those can be miraculous, spirit-led, spirit-accomplished acts of ministry. Amen. Yeah, Val. Well, I think um, I'm not sure exactly what you mean by that. To, to do ministry, I would say um, any bit of purity is going to continue to increase that capacity. This is just me kind of reacting, responding to your question. But going off of sort of my life as an example, you know, I know that the more the Father has pruned from me, um, although I would never consider myself fully pure and only see how much more pruning needs to happen, I can easily say that as pruning has taken place in my life, that the flow has increased. You know, and so I think there's just that constant um, invitation for more. And this is this is the prayer that Jesus makes in John 17 for that ongoing sanctification, or like Paul writes in Hebrews 11, that the process of being made holy. This is a lifelong process. It's a day-to-day, minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour process of, uh, of, of purification and sanctification. And that's the, that's the journey of being a Christian. That's the journey of being a disciple, you know, and, and that's our purpose. And so it's just going to be, it's, it's an ever-increasing opportunity. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think anyone that's taken this seriously has had that debate. Yeah. You know, we've all had that debate, and uh, to that I would say, be encouraged because it is happening. Yeah. And even though we have bad days, we have good days also. Yeah. I would actually, I would actually say that as well. God knows what he's doing. So I think when as as we accept the invitation to to continually seek and, and desire to prune those things that we know where we've looked at ourselves, that according to his timing, according to his his moment, yep. he will use that. Absolutely. And there are days that he won't. Yep. And that's why this is such a, a journey. Absolutely. Yep, I'm gonna be the. Uh, I'm gonna read the first uh, Psalm 119 passage right now. So if you have your Bible, we're gonna do uh, 33 through 40. This will give you an idea of what Psalm 119 is all about. And I just feel like the Lord's kind of leading me to say, start every teaching with this, with this Psalms, because He's, he's gonna be establishing in our hearts 
this gratitude for God's commandments, this this appreciation for his statutes and his judgments and his precepts, this valuing of uh, the ways of God that that um, that we're going to be te- uh, learning as he teaches. So in verse 33 it says, Teach me, O Lord. Is everyone there? Psalm 119 starting in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart towards your testimonies, and not to covetousness. Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things, and revive me in your way. Establish your word to your servant, who is devoted to fearing you. Turn away my reproach, which is dread, from your, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me by your righteousness. And I just pray, Father God, that as, um, as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that as we hear these responses to real people, uh, to your word and your law and your commandments and your statutes and your judgments and your precepts and your testimonies, as we hear the value that they place, the desire, the gratitude uh, that they have for all of it, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be changed for it, to desire you more, to walk in your ways more, to, to value uh, your word and your commandments. That is the desire of our heart, Lord. And so I pray that somehow, supernaturally, as we read these words, that, that our hearts would be inclined towards you and that our desires would be changed and and align with keeping your commandments that it would be a joy to us that as John said in 1 John that that your word that your ways are no longer a burden to us but rather a delight we pray for that to be manifest in each of our lives in Jesus name amen all right so um, now we're going to move into the specific teaching part, so kiddos, it's time to go. Unless unless your folks have given you permission to stay. that my, my guy last week looked like a T-Rex because his arms were way shorter. <laughs> yours, is, yours is much more um, to scale. <laughs> What's that? I'm hoping that'll be me Yeah. <laughs> you're, on, you're, you're well on your way. So the first commandment, um, you know, one of the things that the word says is that it's the Holy Spirit that leads us into all truth. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The the Holy Spirit is um, in charge as it relates to what commandments God is going to bring us to in what order. And I'm very diligent about that. I'm going to continue to be very diligent about the order that he leads this in because there's obviously so much to cover and to teach. Um, I just got to be obedient to 
to him for that order. And so the first one he led us to was regarding sexual sin, sexual immorality. And so I just have to trust that that's his perfect ordering, you know. So um, so the, the commandments are um, often what we see in Scripture is that God establishes them first in the, be, in the, in the Old Testament, um, you know, in, in um, the Ten Commandments, obviously, sort of foundationally, but way beyond that, the rest of the book of Leviticus and, and uh, all of the book of the law, it's all God's commandments. Everything that, uh, that whole list that we came up with, the things that we are to obey, why we are to obey them, it's, it's God's law that we're talking about. And, um, and they're all established by God originally. Um, they're reiterated through Jesus in the, in the Gospels and in what we see in, in Jesus' um, further interpretation of the laws that he gives um, the spirit of the law, the, the, the wider perspective, the deeper perspective be, be behind God's original um, kind of verbalizing of them. And then a lot of times in the epistles, we see Paul dealing with disobedience to those specific things and, and kind of how to, how to deal with that. And so it, the laws never change. God's precepts never change. His commandments never change. There's um, continuity throughout all of Scripture, and we see um, and, we'll, and we'll use all of those different areas to, um, to both teach the commandment uh, as well as... You need something, babe? Uh, so, so, so we see um, the seventh seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments is Thou shalt not commit adultery, and then we see in in um, Matthew chapter five, I think it's um, Jesus saying the whole um, You've heard it said, Do not commit adultery, but I say to you, anyone that even looks at someone with lust in their eyes has already committed adultery. So that's the that's the deeper perspective. It's no longer just do not um, commit adultery and, and you know sleep with someone that you're not married to. It's Jesus gives the, the the much bigger perspective on that, which is even to to um, look at someone, think about someone in that way. It's already you're already sinning. You know, you're already breaking the commandment. And I would argue um, Kara's point regarding this one in particular, um, our commandment to, to abstain from sexual immorality is 100% for our protection. This is one of those commandments that God gives us to just try and protect us and protect us from something very, very specific that um, the story that I shared uh, from, from Scripture last week, I, it's just, to my mind, it's the best, most clear one to describe what we're being saved from. And that story happens in, in Numbers chapters 23, 22 to, through 25. Uh, the the, the two-minute version is um, the Israelites are on the move and they, and they camp in the plains of Moab. And the um, Midianite king, who is right next door, basically sees them camp. He sees the kind of the war march that they are on, and he gets scared for his people. He thinks that the Israelites are going to come in and just wipe them out. And so um, he goes and he um, basically hires uh, what the Bible calls a, a soothsayer or a prophet who basically um, has the, the gift to uh, place curses blessings and curses on people and, and it comes to pass and so um, the king whose name is Balak he hires this guy named Balaam and he says you're going to come and you're going to place a curse on the Israelites so that maybe we can defeat them or maybe they won't defeat us and so Balaam comes and I'm giving you just a quick version of it Balaam comes and three times um, attempts 
to curse the Israelites and God will not allow him to do it. And, and God basically says, these are my people. These people I call blessed. These people are I call protected. And so you are not going to curse them. And, 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 and God literally, like, you know, he just shows that his people are bulletproof. When his people are, are, are his, called by him, chosen by him, covered by him, and pure, they are bulletproof, curse-proof, attack-proof, safe, right? And so um, Balaam ends by saying, look, I'm not, I'm not able to curse them. God will not allow me to. And so, and so then what happens is uh, Balaam pulls King Balak aside, and he basically has a, has a secret meeting with him to tell them, to tell him rather, if you want the Israelites cursed, if you want to see them destroyed, here's my advice. Take all of the beautiful Midianite women and send them into their camp that they might commit sexual sin with them. And the minute they do, God's going to curse them. They're, they're going to bring a curse upon themselves. And sure enough, that's literally exactly what happens. Balak sends the women into the camp. The Israelite men, the Bible says, commit um, fornication or harlotry with the Midianite women. And it says specifically that in doing that, the men are connected to Baal of Peor, which is the false god that the Midianite people worshipped. So somehow, some way, there was this um, connection through committing sexual sin with these women that actually connected them to the false god Baal, and God had it has an immediate um, wrath on them. He lift, lifts the protection, and rather than protecting and covering his people, he literally commands the leaders to pull out every man that did this and hang them in the sun, hang them, hang them, that they might feel my wrath. And uh, I, I can't remember if it mentioned how many were actually killed, but the people of God go from literally someone not even being able to verbally curse them to thousands being killed by God's direct command, and it was all because they committed sexual sin, and and that was the um, and that was the cost that I know the Lord uh, really wanted to bring to light regarding um, what sexual sin costs, what sexual sin costs us, and um, and as we talked about last week, you know, it's very very important when we whenever we talk about the cost of sin. It's very important to understand why. Why does sin cost so much? Or, or why are there um, curses or consequences associated with sin? And I'm talking about even after we're born again, right? And, and to understand this, it's all about understanding spiritual warfare and how the enemy works. We hit on that also last week, that basically the Bible says that the enemy is constantly going before the Father day and night and bringing accusation against the brethren. And the brethren meaning those that are born again, set apart, um, God's holy chosen people, uh, covered by the blood, and keeping God's commandments. That's who Satan is after, right? And so what Satan does to the, to the born again bride is he offers these temptations. Every single temptation is to get us to do one specific thing, and that is break God's commandments. Or, or as the various writers in scripture would say, to transgress the law. Whenever we transgress the law, whenever we break one of God's commandments, the enemy gets to go, the go to the Father and bring that accusation against us. And whenever he does, 
and we are truly guilty, bam, he has access into that area of our life. Immediate consequence, immediate curse, immediate uh, second half of Deuteronomy chapter 30, right? Behold, I place before you a choice. You can either have blessings in life or cursings in death. And it's all about what? Keeping God's commandments. Well, the cursings and death part are uh, the result of us breaking God's commandments. So that's all Satan wants. Let me offer a counterfeit. Let me offer a deception. Let me offer a treat, uh, uh, a, um, a temptation of some kind. Get you to transgress the law. As soon as you do, I have access into that area of your life, and I'm coming to bring absolute destruction. Okay, so the reason... Um, sexual sin is such a big deal and, and the reality guys is if you know the word um, you'd know that that um, sexual sin and, and um, sexual immorality fornication harlotry all those types of things they are mentioned and highlighted all throughout scripture I mean um, if you look at Revelation in particular you see that it is that it is highly highly um, engaged in in the end times that it is one of a couple of areas of sin that just runs rampant in the end it's sexual sin um, but the reality is is it's it's mentioned and warned against and taught against all throughout scripture I mean literally from cover to cover it's constantly talked about and um, one of the things that that I said last week is is when um, when the, when the church was just getting started in Acts chapter 15, the, the elders, the, the apostles and the elders got together and they, and, they, and they basically met regarding what's the very first instruction that we want to give to Gentile converts, right? So people who have um, no, no real knowledge of the word, they've just heard the gospel invitation and they've said yes to it. They've been born again. They've been given the Holy Spirit. And now they are being given literally the very first instruction on, on how believers in Christ should live. And, and that, in that meeting, it says that the Holy Spirit felt it was good that these four things be abstained from. And it was um, eating food sacrificed to idols, eating food that's been strangled, drinking blood, and sexual immorality. Those are the four things from a um, Holy Spirit-led group of apostles and elders, the four things that anyone who is freshly born again must immediately abstain from. Right? So, so I said last week, it's like literally rung number one on the ladder of being a follower of Jesus. It's the first step. It's the first pruning. It's the first... Um, uh, uh, like we said, the, 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 the ministry of the Holy Spirit is constantly, and, and for the most part, that's not for you. That's not for you. That's not for you, right? You know you're hearing from the Spirit when that's constantly being, being told to you. You're constantly being convicted in that way. Well, well the, the early church fathers, under the influence and guidance of the Holy Spirit, said the first four things that are not for us include sexual immorality that that is literally rung number one of what it means to be a disciple and um, and that is very critical that we understand it and, and, and I think one of the things that the Spirit is hopefully giving us eyes to see from a protection standpoint and from a cost standpoint is because sexual immorality is intimately tied to and always um, used by 
the enemy's agenda. It is, it is one of the absolute first favorite and most common temptations that Satan uses to get us to transgress the divine law and get access into our life. Does that make sense? It is like just opening a door to the enemy wreaking havoc in our lives. And if you're, and if you're single, he wreaks havoc in your single life. And if you're married, he wreaks, wreaks havoc in your marriage through this door, through this porthole. Does that make sense? What do you say, man? Um, for me and my walk with Jesus, I would say this is probably like the most frustrating i found because it never goes away. Yep. And it seems like um, sometimes I just don't want to. Yeah. Like my flesh fights it. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything else, like I want to obey God yeah. except in this area. And it's so, it seems like... That's literally the words the Lord gave me last week, by the way, is the, the, the reason that we, um, regarding this sin in particular, um, the reason we have all this accountability groups going on out there, all this curriculum, all this um, uh, exposure to it, but no fruit, right? No freedom, no, no ultimately no um, deliverance from it, quite frankly, is because we don't want to. We don't want to give it up. It's one of those things that we just simply do not want to give up. And, and, and I argued last week that the reason we don't want to give it up because, because the way Satan tempts us to transgress the law can come in many forms. Um, much of it in the current church today is just erasing the law. You know, that's been a very concerted effort through false teachers and false prophets to say the law doesn't matter anymore. The law's been done away with. The law's been abolished. The law's covenant. The law's Old Testament. The law's Jewish. All that crap is just Satan's attempt to remove the law so that we just transgress it over and over and over. Um, regarding this one in particular, I would argue what he's removed is not the law itself, but any belief that there's any cost associated with it. And I would say especially for singles, um, or just men in particular for whom pornography has just become so available, it's just become the secret, you know, the secret sin, the secret pleasure that there is no harm, there's no victim, there's no um, exposing. It's just, I can, I can just keep doing it and there's no cost to it. And that's the lie. And that's the lie that's being exposed right now that every one of us needs to hear. There's actually an extreme cost to it. And, and ultimately what it is, is a curse. It's a curse on you and on your life that is um, best displayed by that story. The people of God went from being bulletproof, literally could not be cursed by the best soothsayer in the world, to very shortly after that, God hanging them in the sun. And what was the, and what was the sin? What was the, what was the law they transgressed? Fornication. Right, and so this is a big, big one. This is a big, big deal. And um, and one thing that I mentioned last week that we'll read a couple uh, passages regarding. Um, well, let's just turn there real quick. First Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 15. First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall 
I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you, or do you not know that he who is joined to the harlot is one body with her? For, for the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that man does out is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and, and that you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So, um, as I mentioned last week, there is... Um, there are certain commandments, or, or there are certain, there is certain instruction from God's word regarding the temptations of the enemy. That there are times when we, when we are called to fight, right? There are called, times when we are called to fight. There are times when we are called to make a stand and take a stand against things. Sexual immorality is one, and not one, but two places that the, the instruction literally is to flee from it, and that should, and that should. That should be significant. We should hear that very clearly. Like, this is not something to be messed with. This is not something that you will physically overcome or, you know, by determination, by strength, by willpower. No. He says flee from it. That's the only response to sexual sin and sexual temptation. The only response by the Word of God is to run. And that and that should, to me, is is a um, evidence to the to the weight of this temptation to the strength of this temptation right it's it's the heart you know it might be the hardest it might be the hardest one in our flesh to refuse it may be even impossible right and so the bible is clear the only chance you have is to run from it what are you going to say big So if, if this if, if God's commandments ultimately are for our protection, or this one in particular is for our protection, then hear this right now. You are best protected from sexual sin by running from it. Okay, that's very important. The Lord gave me a, um, a word for the ranch guys a, a, f- a few months ago um, regarding the protection of God's ways. And it was this, that... Um, you guys remember David and his mighty, mighty men, the men of valor, like 30, 30 men that David had in his in his army that that were just extraordinary warriors. And the Bible says of these thirty that the that the least was worth six hundred men, but most were worth a thousand men. From a, from a fighter standpoint, from a warrior standpoint, these thirty guys. The least was worth 600 and the most was worth 1,000 and they all lived in one house. And I thought about like, how safe would it be to live in that house? You know, like those were some bad dudes. How safe would it be to live in that house? And the, and the Lord put it in my mind, in my heart to share with those guys that keeping God's commandments 
would keep us as safe as we would be if we lived in that house. Like that is how safe and protected we need to understand God's commandments will keep us if we will walk in them. Does that make sense? So, so yes, we should fear sexual sin. Yes, we should fear sexual uh, the temptation for sexual sin. But the reality is, all we got to do is keep God's commandments, and we are that protected from it. Right? It is not a hopeless battle. Absolutely not a hopeless battle. Not one of them are. Right? Satan absolutely cannot make us do anything. He has no authority in our life to make us do anything. All he can only do is offer it to us. Right? So, so the Bible says flee from it. Jesus expands that teaching, and, and this is um, this is sort of how we, um, this is how I feel like it's going to proceed as we go forward. Like first of all, we're gonna we're gonna be taught the commandment. The commandment is to thou not shalt, shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt abstain in every way from any sexual immorality. Jesus expands on that by saying you can't even look lustfully. That that's, that that's already breaking the commandment. So this is a very, very, um, it's a wide approach, it's a wide commandment. It's a big commandment. It's way bigger than just being married and having an affair. Does that make sense? So it affects everybody, men and women, everybody. And, and what Jesus says regarding this in Matthew 5, go there real quick. You know, we're, we're obviously learning God's commandments so that we can keep them, right? As we've talked about, none of none of the, the next run that we're going to take as a church is about improving our theology and, and, and memorizing God's commandments. Is it great to memorize God's commandment? 100%. Is it good to have solid theology? 100%. But, this, but we're learning these things to do them, period. As a community together as families we're, we're learning these to align our homes with them and and for no other reason so so um so as a community the commandment to us as the body of christ the commandment to us is, is to abstain from any sexual immorality that's what we're going to do period no other discussion no other interpretation needed that's why we're learning this agreed so so jesus says this um regarding this commandment Chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Someone want to read that out loud real quick, just that whole paragraph? You've heard that it was said, not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman last week has already committed adultery with her in the current department. If your right eye causes you to sin, you have to throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than Okay, so um, this is a pretty intense. This is a pretty intense response, right? And I think it just aligns perfectly with the rest of the intensity regarding this topic, right? This is Jesus's putting into words how we flee from the temptation, right? And and, and keep in mind that the that the time in which Jesus spoke this. Um, in what form did the temptation come? Right. 
It was it was flesh and blood. Red because there was no other option. Does that make sense? This is Jesus speaking in the first century. There is no TV. There is no internet. There is no um, technology of any kind. It's only flesh and blood, right? And so and so the only temptation that could be had, even go back to the Balak and Balaam story. The 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 Israelites in that story had to literally be tempted with flesh and blood women, right? And, and same with the audience that Jesus would have been speaking this to. Flesh and blood women, and, and I think it's very um, appropriate that he makes this um, teaching focused on men, right? He said, if he sees her and lusts after her, he's already committed adultery. I think, I think it's noteworthy that Jesus doesn't say if she saw him, right? Because, because this is an issue for men. Right and and um, and Jesus says quite frankly if if what you're looking at causes you to sin get rid of your eyes right and so for for um, in our context in our day you know because we are living in a world that is so heavily influenced by Satan because Satan has um, you know has his has his agenda being played out through so much of our culture, right? The temptation can come completely outside of flesh and blood people now, right? And so um, how I received this, uh, this teaching and, and, and this instruction to run is, um, is to eliminate how those temptations are coming in. Does that make sense? Like so, so for men, what are we talking about? TV, computer, magazines, internet, establishments, right? Uh, to me, to me, the um, because I'm not interested in plucking out my eyes, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna eliminate, I'm gonna eliminate it on the other end, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna eliminate through. The vehicles that it, that I'm that I'm having access to it, or that I could have access to it, and I'll give you just a quick example. And, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get rid of the kids today, um, because hearing this, literally, my my middle daughter would be in tears, because she's so pure and she's so innocent, and this kind of thing just would freak her out. But um, I work in a shop now, right? And um, and on one of the tool carts. Of, of one of the guys in, the, in, the, in our shop, there is a little calendar that has a topless uh, gal on it. You know, it's just a little picture about that big, but it's just, you know, kind of posted right on the outside of this tool chest. And, um, and a, a part of my job that I have to do every, every day is, is uh, cut these papers. And these papers, there's metal fragments on them, so it really makes my knife dull after I cut every one of them. I basically have to resharpen my knife every day, and the knife sharpener is right on this tool cart. And so, um, and so the reality is, is, is um, you know, I was, I was um, placed every day in this, um, in this place of temptation to, to look at something. And, and, and the reality is, is um, I really believe that the Lord just um, highlighted this to me as to, to, to just show just how 
everywhere this stuff is. Like, I don't look at porn on my computer, and I don't go to strip clubs, and I don't do any of those things, but I was still, it was still right in front of me every day, like, right there. And so I had to, and, and so I just had to be able, and it was a part of understanding this teaching that the Lord is showing me there's a cost to everything. Every temptation is because Satan wants access. Every one of them he wants access through. And so every time you say yes, even in the smallest ways, you are opening that door. And so, and so I had to take the step of intentionality when I, go, and it sounds silly, I know, but when I go to this tool, toolbox, I literally have to intentionally keep my eyes down to not see that. And that's just one one um, step of obedience to flee from the temptation. Does that make sense? And, and that's how I interpret this teaching. That's how I understand this teaching. And that's the um, and that's what I believe the, the Spirit is, is wanting to share with every one of us guys that that's how diligent we have to be. That that's how um, obedient we have to be regarding this thing. That even one little glimpse can can open a door that gives the enemy access. Michael? When you're not ready to search me, when I'm this temptation, this world, has got Satan who's ruling over So, us as guys you know, that are going through this have to be intimate and intentional with that very act right. because it's not going away. Exactly right. It's going to always be there. Exactly right. That's why it's so frustrating yep. because it's always there. Exactly right. Satan definitely wants to jack us up. Yep. Yes. Exactly right. It is impossible to to not have this surrounding us. So what does fleeing from it look like? That's the question that you need to ask yourself. That's the conviction that you need to respond to. What does fleeing from it in your life look like? Right? And and um Okay, so here's so 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 to me that is one example of something that gets proved. Right, the Spirit's protection in our life is always a pruning. Um, I don't know exactly how I put that into words, but that was a pruning. You know, that was something that was not for me. That was something that that needed to go. You know, there's another section, uh, another response that that um, Paul, as he is helping the church deal with sexual sin and sexual immorality, this is one of the things that that he shares. First uh, Corinthians five. Someone read, please, 9 through 11. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexual, sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covenants or extortion or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you Okay, so this is very, very important. You know, as, as we talked about, God establishes the law, 
Jesus reiterates it in his teachings, helps gives us some um, some handles for how we deal with it, and then and then Paul gets very practical in the church. And in the church, what's he say? Someone someone uh, reinterpret that passage. Exactly right. It's just that simple. This is a pruning body of Christ. That is a part of the fleeing from sexual immorality. If you have people in the church that you know are, are um, sinning in that area, it literally says don't be with them. And I think that goes beyond don't go to the strip club with them. I think it literally means don't be with them. Like don't do life with them. Right. But now you're going to have to make some choices. Exactly right. And I think everyone can agree the one that jumped out the most to me, honestly, was the drunkard one. Yep. Because when do you see it okay to kind of go away from what you normally would do in a sober-minded situation? Exactly right. They always go hand in hand. Right? Sexual immorality and, and drinking too much have always gone hand in hand. That's why strip clubs and bar are bars. <laughs> you know, that's... So, so, this is, so this is a part of the pruning. This is a part of... Um, it's not for the people of God. It's not for the set-apart ones. It's not for Jesus' disciples to have any fellowship, any common ground, any closeness with sexual immorality. Why? Because it's all demonic, right? It's all the enemy's desiring access into your, into your heart and into your life and into your marriages. And so we're not, we're not, we're not called to take a stand against it right we're called to literally flee from it and if that means you've got to prune some relationships in your life prune them it's just that important right this is a big big deal just before this he talks about you know this church this particular church has been allowing someone to fellowship with them that is knowingly committing sexual immorality. And Paul basically says, you are, you are leavening the whole loaf. By allowing that to stay, by allowing that person to stay, the whole church is being affected by it. Right? And that's the, and that's the, the access that we're called to. If we are one body, like we're the body of Christ. Right? We are the body of Christ. If even one of you is allowing a door to be opened through sexual sin, could it be that it's affecting everybody? I think that's exactly what Paul says. So this is, so this is about loving each other enough to flee together. This is about loving each other enough to want to protect. I want to protect you. I want to protect your marriage. I want to protect your marriage. I want to protect your marriage, Kendra. I want to protect your guys' future marriage. And so me walking in purity, somehow, someway, I believe, helps protect your future marriage. And I expect the same from you guys regarding mine. Um, this this, this kind of... Hearing Paul talk about this, to bring that to today, is like us sitting together and being, you know, hearing Absolutely. Hearing what God's saying before, but it's also us today, now. Yep. It's real. It's, it's absolutely nothing different. Yep. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you.
exactly right. There's no, there's no protection. Yep. Over their, over their relationship. Exactly right. With God or with each other. Yep. You know, and so it op- it opens bigger doors than any time that you uh, is is not okay. Exactly not right. Okay exactly right. Yeah. Lord have mercy. And, and here is why Naomi, and this is, and this is, uh, I'm just about done. Because this scenario and this opportunity is ultimately what this is all about and specifically regarding what a marriage is intended to look like. Because being in this position and being the conduit through which the love and the truth and the support and the encouragement and everything that God has for your spouse, most of it is intended to come from you. You realize that? Most of what the father wants to say to Diane, I'm totally convinced he wants to say through me. He wants our relationship to be that incredible, that special, that powerful, that beautiful, that the actual agape love of the father would flow through me as a vessel and, and help for my wife to be all that God created her to be, to have the best, most incredible life because the love of the Father is constantly flowing from me to her. And if I am not pure, sexually in particular, that is not going to happen. In fact, the opposite is going to happen. But what happens if you made mistakes? Ah, beautiful. Great response. Great question. And this is where every single commandment is going to lead us. Exactly like... Um, Kyle finished us off with. Every time we drill into a commandment of God, every time, I'm going to argue, every time that question is going to be asked. I screwed that up already. I've already transgressed that law. I've already broken that commandment. I've likely already given access to our marriage to Satan. I promise that's true of everyone in this room. I have already cursed our marriage. I promise that's true of everyone in this room. Right? Because we either didn't know or we weren't obedient. So the question is, what do we do? And what's the answer, Kyle? We repent. We repent and we ask for forgiveness. And here's what happens every time we do that. Any access that was given is immediately cut off. That is the power of the blood. And that is why the Lord's Prayer has us ask for forgiveness every single day. Right? Because we aren't perfect. And we are going to break God's commandments. And every time we do, we open that door. But what the confession and the repentance does every time is close the door. And so here's the opportunity that we have literally tonight. We have the opportunity to come before the Father and say, I did this and I need to repent and I want to ask for forgiveness. And what the Father will do 100% of the time, every time, is apply the blood of the true unblemished lamb that breaks every covenant, that breaks every chain, that cuts off every access. And you will be, once you make that confession to the Father, you will be 100% pure in your marriage. You will be 100% protected in your marriage. I promise you that's the truth. 
And we're going to celebrate that purity and we're going to celebrate that protection by taking communion. Because that's what we do before we take communion anyways. Right? We repent and we ask for forgiveness for anything that's that we've done. And we're going to move then from, from that time of communion into worship knowing, listen to this guys, we can worship the Father tonight knowing that we have been we have bulletproofed our marriages again. We have protected our marriages again. Our future marriages. Right? That is a cause for celebration. Does that make sense to everyone? It's super important that we understand how to respond. Because every one of God's commandments are going to require this. Every one of them. I promise you that's the truth. Every one of them are going to require the courage for us to come before the Father and say, I did it. And there is so much grace and forgiveness available to anyone who has the courage to do that. All of a sudden, you have closed every point of access into your marriage. All of a sudden, I'm telling you guys, you say, you, you repent tonight and you ask for forgiveness tonight, and then you begin to be obedient going forward, and this is going to start happening. I'm telling you. And don't be deceived as we've talked to people. Don't be deceived by telling yourself the lie. Oh, that was just a little thing. Any little thing. It says just looking. You're already on that. Right. So, well, so here I actually yeah. asked because um, because this is such an area of deception in such an area where the enemy just, I promise you, this is his, one of his favorite areas of access. So he is hating this right now. He is hating anything that that brings to light his favorite and primary point of access. So you're gonna you're gonna get lies right now that say, I don't have to repent. I don't have a problem with this, I don't have an issue with this, I haven't opened this door, oh that was so long ago, oh that it's been a long time, or oh that was just a little thing here, or, I was just a little thing there, that didn't nobody knew about that, nobody heard about that. That's all lies. Right? The the, the way that you need to um, recognize whether or not this is something you need to repent of is you need to judge the fruit. Okay, so I ask God, what is the fruit of a cursed enemy accessed marriage? And, and I just I just prayed for, for um, a list and this is this is what I believe he gave me. So you can take this to the counsel of the Lord, but this is what I believe he gave me. I, I think he gave me first and foremost, if you have given um, the enemy access to your marriage through sexual sin in particular, that the first and foremost, the fruit of that is going to be a lack of friendship in your marriage. I don't know. I've never heard that before. I don't know why that is, but I really feel like that's what the Lord gave me first and foremost. Secondly is a lack of respect. Thirdly is a lack of trust. Fourthly is a lack of treasuring or valuing your spouse. Fourth, a lack of spiritual intimacy, specifically praying, worshiping, and studying God's work together. And lastly is a lack of physical intimacy. I just believe the Lord, the Spirit of God gave me those as this is some of the fruit that a cursed marriage is going gonna, is gonna to be experiencing. That's probably not an exhaustive list, and there's probably others. And, and for singles, you know, honestly, I didn't even ask, so I'm sorry about that. I just didn't even ask. But I think at the end of the day, my thought is that everyone's going to need to repent of this. I mean, just truthfully, Jacob. Yep, absolutely. Yep. Beautiful. Absolutely. I think that's right on the money. Yep. 
So, so um, let me read this list again. Even if you're a single guy, think of if your if your marriage is to the Lord, this is what will come: a lack of, uh, first and foremost, a lack of friendship. Secondly, a lack of respect. Thirdly, a lack of trust. Fourthly, a lack of treasuring or valuing. Fourthly, a lack of spiritual intimacy, praying, worshiping, and studying uh, God's word together. And lastly, which this one wouldn't apply, a lack of physical intimacy. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Walk in the spirit, and you will not satisfy the desires of your flesh. Right. This is this is ultimately all about walking in the spirit. We're also going to understand in your homework for next week, by the way, is to read Romans chapter one. That um, sexual immorality is actually a judgment from the Father, and it's a judgment that He hands us over specifically because of idolatry. All right, so He wants to give us even further understanding about about where sexual immorality roots from, and how intimately involved in idolatry it really is. All right, so read Romans chapter one uh, uh, next for next week. But Levi is exactly right. Um, walking in the Spirit is our only chance in the world we live in. Right? I literally had to stop going to the high school um, and working there because of what the girls were. I just had to stop going there. I had to stop going and working from the high school. Um, and this was way before God gave me clarity on the cost. This was like several years ago. But that was part of it. It was just all around. Yes, ma'am. So, um, if you've never confessed before the Lord, um, it's it's real easy. You um, you bring accusation against yourself because it's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy brings accusation against you. He gets to decide uh, what it's going to cost you. You bring accusation against the se- your, yourself. Jesus' sacrifice pays that price. So you just bring accusation against yourself and speak it to Him. And, 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 and tell them that uh, you did it and you're guilty and you were begging for forgiveness and forgiveness is available and offered and granted every single time and just 
celebrate that, man. Celebrate the reality that you are clean before the Lord the minute you ask for it. Then celebrate with communion. Then enter into worship. And from now forward, flee from this. Are we totally clear? Any questions? Yes, sir. And by the way, that advice that Kyle was talking about is um, it's exactly following the flee from sexual immorality piece in uh, 1 Corinthians 6. It's exactly following that. Paul talks about what a marriage should look like and what my body means to her and her body means to me. It's all right there. And so read on, read on, and you'll get that further instruction. That's I would right. also add, um, kind of along with Kyle just said, it just popped hard, is a piece of Women should not be going to men with their sexual problems, and men should not be going to women and saying, oh, pray for me. That opens, I've seen it, that opens doors, don't go there. Women should be speaking with other women, so you need to find people that you trust, that can pray with you, that can walk through things, but do not mix that gender. Like I said, I'm saying, women, if you have to talk to Eric, I have to be present. It is not something, if that is a safeguard for our marriage that we've established quite a while, wait, quite a while back. So if ever uh, women need to speak to my husband, they, he already knows, nothing personal, that is a safeguard for us. And I would say that um, that seems to be true in any marriage if, if there's friendships, because I do know that there are friendships that opposite gender. You've got to protect that. You have and, to protect that. And also any aware. belief that, um, that any confession has to come to me or through me, that's all BS. Catholic BS in particular, uh, you confess to the Father and yes. you repent to the Father. You ask the Father's forgiveness, um, He's the one that grants it, and He's the He's the one that matters. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I just pray right now, Father, for um, for the conviction of Your Spirit to fall on on Your bride at NCC, that each of us would respond correctly to the things that You are speaking to us by Your Spirit and through Your Word, 
and that um, and that everyone would respond correctly. And I and I give you thanks and praise, Lord, for the protection that comes when we when we keep your commandments and we walk in your ways. I give you thanks and praise, Father, that will come literally from um, the, the 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 decisions and the actions that are made today that will bear fruit in marriages in this congregation going forward. I give you thanks and praise for it because they are promised and assured and guaranteed to us. They will declare your goodness. They will they will um, be a testimony to how real you are and a um, and a uh, and a such a huge blessing to our marriages. And for that, Lord, I give you thanks and praise. I worship you. I'm so grateful, Lord. And uh, and just have your way for the next hour. Receive your worship. You are worthy of it. In Jesus' name, Amen. And Kirby, you yeah yeah. Let's can we play a, a, a little bit of background music first, so so you can do what you need to do, and then start when you're ready.
Yeah. Oh, good job. Okay, thanks. Fucking Sorry if you recorded the whole way home. Take care, man. Take care, bro. Smart of you to do that. Oh, no. She knows. She knows. Bye, Carl. See you guys. I'm dragging my foot. I'm one foot. It's hard to go. Let's go huh? <laughs> Forgot stuff? No, but I want to make sure they're cleaning. Oh, right on. You know, because oh, we, we, we tend to take off and then we don't clean up our, our mess. Looks good. So. I looked it over. We did? Okay, yeah, good. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> clean, okay. My feet can survive if I keep doing this. Yeah. Or if I walk. And walking right on this. Walk it like it, talk it. Walk it like it, talk it. What's Naomi's last name? Colbert. 
Walk it like you talk it. My confidence in your faithfulness, I will rest in your goodness. Faithful, yes, Lord. Faithful.